When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you want to learn more about how podcasts are made or network with other fans or meet your favorite podcasters? PodX is the podcast convention you've been waiting for. You can meet the voices behind your favorite podcasts like Undisclosed, uh, The Bright Sessions, True Crime Obsessed, Oh No, Ross and Carrie, and many more, including Get Booked. Uh, PodX is May 31st through June 2nd in the heart of Nashville at the Music City Center. Jen and I will both be there, and we are both on panels, uh, including a session of Get Booked Live, where the audience will be asking us for book recommendations on the spot, which is going to be very interesting to witness, I'm sure. Um, tickets are on sale now at podx.com slash riot. That's P-O-D-X dot com slash riot. If you end up at the show, do come find us and say hello. This is the Get Book Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 181, and we are recording on May 13th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Welcome, Sharifa. Thank you. Have you been on this show before? I can't remember. I was just about to say, I can't remember if I've been on... I think I have. I think I mm. have, actually. But it was a while back. It was before I was ME, before I was managing uh. editor. So I'm sure I was like, what am I doing? What am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, so for those of you who don't know and don't listen to our science fiction and fantasy podcast, Sharifa is our managing editor uh, of Book Riot. She runs the ship, basically, um, and ho- also hosts our science fiction and fantasy podcast with Jen, SFF, yeah. Um, so go check that out if you read those books, which I know you do. We all do. Let's be real. <laughs> They're great. There. So I'll put a link in the show notes uh, to that show if y'all want to go um, check that out. Okay, so how the show works. Well, first of all, it works by us having a guest because Jen's on vacation. I forgot to mention that. Like, Sharifa's just taking over. No, no. <laughs> Jen's in London having, like, a great old time. If you see her on Instagram or if you follow her on Instagram, there's lots of fun pictures. And I'm really jealous, but that's fine. Um, so Sharifa's filling in. Okay, so how the show works. As I said, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. Um, so you can send us your reading recommendations via email, uh, requests, reading recommendation requests via email to get booked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. And when we say reading recommendation requests, what we mean is like, I read Harry Potter and nothing will fill the void and recommend me a book. Or I need a book for my book club. Or I need a book to give to my dad. Here are the things that he likes. These sorts of things. They don't have to be for you. They can be for uh, gifts or you're traveling uh, and want to read a book about a place you're going to. Any Anything. We will answer any and all, any and all comers. Um, so that is how the show works. Before we get into the questions, we do have one piece of feedback from Emily, who has recommendations for the questioner last week who was looking for horror westerns. And she recommends In the Valley of the Sun by Andy Davidson, which I've not read, but she also recommends Hunger by Alma Katsu, which I have read and is about the Donner Party and is terrifying. So <laughs> that's real creepy. That's real creepy. So if that's what you're looking for, which obviously that person was because they emailed us looking for it. So that works. <laughs> that's delightful. 
All right, so I'm going to read our first question and then tell you about our first sponsor and away we will go. Okay, question one is from Dylan who says, my beautiful wife, Amy, is turning 40 next week. And one thing she has asked for is a book recommendation from your podcast. Side note, I love this. This has never happened to us before. We're like, this is what somebody wants for the birthday. This is amazing. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm so into it. I love it so much. Okay, back to the question. Amy is a mindful and devoted mother of two who puts honesty, integrity, and her children's well-being above all else. So she's a writer and a dancer, a lover and a dreamer, an artist and a baker. She's also a reader. An avid reader whose love of prose has skyrocketed in the last few years. She's recently discovered a wine, uh, discovered a love for YA. To quote Amy, I like how they capture specific sentiments and feelings that are unique to young people. The characters don't always have adult reactions, and it's interesting to see how they will express themselves. The writing doesn't need to be overly literary, because that's not how best to represent the stories. I'm interested in the unique space that YA occupies, and all the YA books I've read recently have been excellent. Um, she lists Eleanor and Park, Carry On by Rainbow Roll, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, and Social Intercourse by Greg Howard. Okay, so let's see. She's currently reading On the Come Up by Angie Thomas. She would also like you to know that when she hears the phrase historical fiction, her eyes glaze over. Okay, well, I will not recommend any historical fiction to you. All right, before we get to birthday presents for Amy, we're going to talk about our first sponsor, which is Finale, the final book in Stephanie Garber's number one New York Times bestselling Caraval series. I know that you've seen this. The covers are beautiful. Like it's very night circusy, very bold colors, very striking. Um, so in this final book, it's been two months since the fates were freed from a deck of cards, two months since Legend claimed the throne for his own, and two months since Tella discovered that the boy she fell in love with does not really exist. So now Tella has to decide if she's going to trust Legend. After uncovering a secret, Scarlet will need to do the impossible, and Legend has a choice to make that will forever change him. Caraval is over, but the greatest game of all has begun. It does sound very night circusy. Those books are so pretty. I'm like looking at a picture of it on Goodreads right now. Love it. Okay, so that is Finale by Stephanie Garber. Thank you for sponsoring the show. Whew. All right. Um, I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> what do you have for Amy Sharifa? Let's see. So for Amy, I have The Astonishing Color of After by Emily XR Pan. Um, and I thought it would be a good fit because it is a YA novel and it toes the line of magical realism and the prose is really, really gorgeous. So first of all, before I say anything more about it, I just wanted to give a trigger warning for suicide. So feel free to skip ahead if you need to. Um, and this book definitely got me right in the feels. So also keep a box of Kleenex around because you might need it if you are as affected by emotional storylines in books as I tend to be. So the story itself follows Lei. She's half Taiwanese and half white and Lei's life changes when her mom, who's from Taiwan, uh, dies by suicide. And her relationship with her best friend also becomes strained at the same time because she was kissing him when her mother died. Uh, so they were exploring their relationship, but then this tragedy happened. And so with her mother gone and her best friend kind of out of the picture, uh, Lei finds herself alone and she's grieving and her dad isn't really helping her. Um, he doesn't know how. He's grieving himself, of course, you know, um, and he doesn't really know how to help her. And she's kind of acting strange because Lei is visited by what she thinks is her mom in a different form. And so 
when she tries to tell people about this, she's, of course, you know, faced with disbelief. Um, and this is kind of where that magical realism comes in because, you know, these things don't happen in reality. This isn't a fantasy novel where things are just kind of taken at face value. So, of course, her dad thinks maybe there's something wrong with her, um, that she's seeing these things and that she believes that her mom is coming back to tell her something. Uh, and she does think her mom's trying to tell her something from beyond. So this belief ends up taking her all the way to Taiwan to meet the grandparents who've been kept out of her life. Like she hasn't been able to talk to her parents about her grandparents. There's something about her mom's past that they just didn't want to approach. So Lei goes to Taiwan to learn about her mother's past. And in Taiwan, she finds herself an outsider. And while she's searching for her mother around the places where she grew up, Leia is also exploring a part of her identity she really only had a faint connection to before, just through her mom, um, who kind of holds a distance from her past. So even though these are kind of exceptional circumstances, as far as the magical realism goes especially, the novel really does capture that teen experience with you know, all of its complicated relationships and also the expectations a teen has of their parents, um, especially when they really need them for emotional support. And then that figuring out who you are and where you're going phase is also approached in the book. I just thought it was really beautifully and thoughtfully told. Again, it's a heartbreaker. And also because Lay is an artist, a lot of the way the story is told, including how she describes her emotions, and the atmosphere is translated through this, like, color and aesthetic and things like that. So I thought that was really interesting. I thought it really worked for this story. And it feels like you're definitely taking the journey with Lei. Like, I've never been to Taiwan, but um, Emily XR Pan did such a great job of describing it and all of the sensory feelings around being there. It really does feel like you're traveling. So, you know, if your wife likes that, that sort of transportive feeling you can get from books as well, this is a really good one for it. So again, that was The Astonishing Color of After by Emily XR Pan. Um, mine is also a tearjerker. <laughs> Sad <laughs> podcast, jazz hands. Theme of the day. Yeah. Uh, so I picked The Serpent King by Jeff Zentner, which I will give a trigger warning for uh, for gun violence. Um, so this is a contemporary YA novel that takes place in Tennessee. And the main character is a boy named Dill, who is a senior in high school. And he is an outcast in school, um, along with his two best friends, Travis and Lydia. And Dill is an outcast because he's poor, but also because his father was a Pentecostal preacher who led a snake handling church. Um, hence the title, The Serpent King, who is now in prison for various and sundry crimes. So, like, his dad's really public fall out of, you know, grace and imprisonment has made Dill an outcast. His best friend Travis is also, um, comes from a poor family and is really obsessed with this fantasy series in the book. Um, like, wears a cape, walks around with a wand. Not, it's not a wand, it's a staff. Like, he walks around <laughs> with a giant staff. And he's, like, the most sweet loving character that you will ever read he's just like super into this fantasy series um lives his life a little bit online um and then lydia is she's an outcast but because she's too cool for tennessee like her family is is they're not wealthy but like her dad's a dentist they're comfortable it's fine um she runs a fashion blog that is like taking off she's 
a little bit famous and just cannot wait to get out of this, you know, podunk Tennessee town and go to NYU and like live her dreams and become a, you know, famous fashion person. So Dill has, it's about their last summer together, like the three of them before all of this kind of falls apart. For Travis and Lydia, it feels like new beginnings time. Like we're going to get out of this little town. We're going to go on and have, you know, lives that are more interesting. But Dill doesn't have the money to go to college. Um, and his mother very much like expects him to stay home and work and help her support, you know, the family now that the dad is in jail. Um, and he secretly is this like really talented musician. He's also secretly in love with Lydia. And like he's got a lot of secrets, just lots of secrets. So this is like, it reminded me a lot of the perks of being a wallflower and not necessarily content wise, but more just the feelings like that thing when you're a teenager where one summer day can feel like two seconds, but can also feel completely infinite. Like everything means so much, even when it's just kind of nonsense, you know, and that way that teenagers can get so wrapped up in their big feelings and like how every, every interaction they have feels so adult, you know, when to the adults who were looking in, we're all like, okay, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> calm down. But he, but, but Zentner is not, um, pandering to a young adult audience like he's not condescending to to take them seriously he legitimately takes these kids and these characters really really seriously um the book is not without tragedy it is very sad i'm not gonna tell you why you might have a hint from my trigger warning but there you go um so yeah i love it so much so that's the serpent king by jeff zentner i need to read that one. Oh, it's really good all right, so the next question comes from Marie, and Marie says, Hi, guys, I'm going on a 10-hour train ride this Friday, and then next Monday as well. Wow, that's a long train ride. Um, going to <laughs> Toronto for the Comics Festival. I'd like something to read on my Kobo during the train ride, uh, something that would be light and fun. I enjoy queer fantasy and sci-fi in which no one dies, and fairy tale retellings with a non-dark twist. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, well, my pick is actually a recent read of mine. It's The Black God's Drums by P. Jelly Clark. And I've been sitting on this one for a while, and I finally picked it up, and I'm so glad I did because it was such a delightful read. Um, it was way more lighthearted than I thought it was going to be, which is why I thought this might be a good pick for you. And it's only 108 pages, so I almost feel like like if you can't read this necessarily in like I feel like you could probably read this either before you even get off the train like under 10 hours or or at least it'll take up a full train ride because I read this in one sitting um so the story follows a young woman who goes by the name of Creeper and the story is being told by Creeper who has an absolutely wonderful humorous voice um, I would definitely read more books narrated by Creeper. And so Creeper lives on the mean streets as a pickpocket. And instead of, so she lives in like this alternate New Orleans at a time when the Civil War has gone very differently and it's divided the nation. And while you're in this alternate New Orleans, there are still some familiar historical and cultural elements mingled in there with this strange version. So, Creeper refuses to go to schools, which are around, um, and then there are, like, brothels, and there's a church that becomes part of the storyline. It's actually one of my favorite parts of the storyline. 
And you also have, it's also steampunk, so you've got like the ubiquitous airships of the genre. And one of these airships comes in, it's called the Midnight Robber, which is the best name ever. And it comes with its captain, who's this smuggler and a very pirate-like character. So this smuggler has her team of uh, shipmates, I guess you would call them. And she comes at a time right when Creeper discovers some information that's really dangerous information and really kind of priceless information. She knows she can trade it with somebody for something she wants. Um, And it's about the Black God's drums, which is described later in the story. I'm not going to tell you what they are exactly, but it is a tool to make something really powerful and potentially destructive happen, not just to this alternate New Orleans, but to the country as a whole. So Creeper has this information And when she finds out about the Midnight Robber coming in, she decides she knows now how she's going to trade it. And so she ends up meeting the captain of this airship and reluctantly, uh, on the captain's side, they end up forming this partnership because the information about the Black God's drums is really important to the captain and... The captain is not like completely morally bereft. Actually, it's it's quite the opposite. And this is a really great, it's, it's also a queer story. The captain of the ship is a queer woman. It's got really great representation all around. Um, and the characters are all amazing. They are all really, they have a lot of depth. Like every time I say, I almost feel like I have to say when it's like 108 pages or when it's a novella, like I just want everybody to know that there's like an amazing amount of character development in this story. And I was so immersed in it. It was just so much fun. And I got so attached to all of the characters. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a great pick for just having a kind of enjoyable time. There are some horror elements to this story, but they're more like, I almost want to say like Scooby-Doo style. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe I'm just like, you know, calloused to some horror, but I feel like it's got more of the Scooby-Doo element. There are other things here that are a little bit heavier though. Of course, there's, this is a world where, A form of slavery still exists and, you know, the Confederates are still around and there's racism. So there is that. But I would say all around, this is a fairly uh, lighthearted story with some pretty big themes going on in it. So I just thought it was perfect. It's the perfect slice of story. And... I I think you'll love it. So again, that was The Black God's Drums by P. Jelly Clark. Um, so I also picked a Tor novella because Tor makes the best queer fantasy little novel. Like, what what are they even doing over there? It's They're amazing. amazing. I love it so much. So <laughs> you can just stack them. Like, grab a handful of Tor novellas and take them on this train and you will be entertained the whole time. So the one that I picked is Passing Strange. It's by Ellen Claggis. I've said this out loud before and I still can't remember. I'm sorry. K-L-A-G-E-S. It will also be in the show notes. Um, And so this is historical fiction, and I'm pretty sure last time I talked about this on the show, I described it as magical San Franciscan lesbians, and that's exactly what it is. So this takes place in San Francisco in the 40s, in the early 40s, like before the war. 
between the wars, you know. Um, and you're following, when the book opens, it's present day. And you're with an old lady who's like putting her affairs in order because she knows that her life is almost over. And she takes this old painting made by um, a long dead um, pulp artist, like comic book artist. She takes it to a bookstore to sell, knowing that it's like super rare and it's going to fetch a huge price, um, which it does. And then you go back to the 40s after she sells it and you meet her as a young woman and the the person who made that painting and figure out like the backstory of how she got a hold of it, why she held on to it this whole time and why she's finally selling it when she's, you know, in her 80s. Um, and so it's, you're following like, I think it's five or six different women. They're all queer living in San Francisco in like the queer underground of the city. Um, and there, like, there's so little that I can tell you about this plot without spoiling it. So I will just say that like two of them fall in love. They meet in the book, fall in love. And then a series of unfortunate events occur, (laughs) um, where they are like made to make a choice of, you know, giving each other up or going on the run or doing something else, somehow solving this problem so that they can be together. There are like, not time travel. It's, um, what do you call it? Like, like space folding almost? What's that word where you go from one place to the other? Like oh space my. jump? No. There must be a like, word. It for starts that. with I a T. Know. Like to tram. Time warp? No. No. It's like space. Maybe it doesn't start with a T. This is so silly. Like it's going to come to me when I'm in the shower later or something like that. It's going to drive me nuts. Um, anyway. <laughs> It's right there. This is so annoying. You, where you could go from one place in a town or whatever to like another place with, just by thinking about it or like through some kind of magical thing. Anyway, so that exists in here. And some of the um, different characters have different abilities that aren't all like they're just so subtle. Like nobody's out there being, you know, Gandalf in the streets. Um, but they all have like really quiet abilities some of which were like inherited from you know their grandmothers in the old country kind of a thing um but it's just a really nice like it's nice it's a nice story it's really really well written um i didn't see the the not twist but like the thing that the book is about i had no idea like i, I just it was so well wrought that it it was like not, it was like being on a lazy river you know like i am here for this story I'm being taken to this place the author wants me to go, and I'm cool with it. Like, I'm not trying to figure it out. I'm just letting it happen. So that's Passing Strange by Ellen Clagus, she says, hesitantly. Okay, (laughs) moving on. (laughs) Question three is from B, who says, I have a background in archaeology and history, uh, art history, and I'm a huge fan of stories related to art theft or crimes in museums, etc. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Thomas Crown Affair. I was wondering if you could recommend any novels of this type. Sharifa, what do you have? Okay, so this isn't necessarily related to art, but I thought it was a pretty good fit for what you're going for. I chose The Badass Librarians of Timbuktu and Their Race to Save the World's Most Precious Manuscripts. This is by Joshua Hammer. And I recommend this with the caveat that I just started this book, but it's been on my TBR for a while and I've heard nothing but good things about it. Um, And yeah, it seemed like a great fit. It's described as a sort of nonfiction heist story, and it's about this band of librarians who came up with this scheme to save these ancient Arabic texts from Al-Qaeda. So the story follows Abdel Kader Haidara, and um, Haidara is the founder of the Mama Haidara Library in Timbuktu, Back, but back when he was a collector for a government library, he tracked down and salvaged like thousands of ancient texts this is like in the 80s 
uh, and they were scattered here and there. And these texts are just like, you know, traveling around with shepherds. So they were just all around the place, but he wanted to preserve them. Um, and because people allied with Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb were destroying anything viewed as haram, like forbidden, including texts, this sort of secret clandestine operation where they're spiriting away these important manuscripts, uh, some of which held progressive views on Islam, which were directly in opposition to the militancy of Al-Qaeda. This all began. Um, so right on its face, this is an amazing story. And when I first heard about this book, I thought it was fiction, just because I hadn't like actually delved into like, oh, this is an actual person doing actual things, because it just sounds like way out there. But this happened. So I imagine everybody listening to this show is horrified by the idea of destruction of ancient texts. Um, and the catalyst for Haidara's mission is really nightmarish, especially in a region where we see a lot of assumptions made by, you know, the Western world about the intellectual contributions of Africa and Africans. And those texts preserve the cultural history of the region and they stand out against those assumptions. Um, and we all know how amazing librarians are, but to have this story of a librarian who literally risked his life to preserve these manuscripts is kind of, you know, it's above and beyond. So I just thought this was a great story, not just because, you know, it is this sort of completely out there heist tale, uh, but also because it, it speaks to the power of books and the power of information, both that Al-Qaeda's worked so hard to destroy these relics and that Haidara and his team went to such great lengths to preserve them. And they really did encounter some truly terrifying people along the way and took some really incredible risks to do this. So it's a great story about books and libraries and about the people who value them. So yeah, if you're looking for a harrowing heist set in a climate of political turmoil, you should definitely check out uh, The Badass Librarians of Timbuktu. And again, that's by Joshua Hammer. Sharifa, the word is teleportation. Teleportation! <laughs> oh my goodness. How could I not think of that word? Oh my goodness. <laughs> my brain is also not there. Okay. Um, art theft, crimes in museums. I have a little bit of both. My pick is The Feather Thief by Kirk Wallace Johnson. And this is the most just WTF <laughs> thing to write a book about of ever. So it's about an American flautist. He's like, who is like 20. His name is Edwin Rist. And in 2009, he robbed the British Museum of Natural History. Um, and what he stole was hundreds of bird skins like for fly fishing <laughs> like with the feathers that you know would be used to make fly fly flies for fishing fly fishing um some of these bird skins had been collected like over 150 years ago um, by alfred russell wallace who was a contemporary of charles darwin um and so Kirk Wallace Johnson, the author, was fly fishing in New Mexico um, when his guide told him about this, like about this, you know, kid, basically, this like flout, this famous flautist who like left the London Royal Academy of Music, got on a train, went to the British Museum of Natural History and robbed it for flies. Um, and so the author, Kirk Wallace Johnson, got kind of obsessed with it. Like, why 
would you ever do that? Like, what would possess you to specifically steal bird skins that, like, fly fishermen would be super into um, for, like, for what? And, like, did, was he ever caught? Whatever, you know, did they ever find the skins? Like, did he sell them on the black market? Like, what happened? Um, So he goes in pursuit, basically, of this guy, even though it sounds like, you know, somebody breaking into a museum and stealing a bunch of dead bird parts uh, would be kind of a victimless crime. Like, who really cares about that? Um, But he goes into how, you know, there really is no such thing as a victimless crime and who was really affected by this. There's also a really fun historical element to the story about, like, how those skins came to be collected by Alfred Russell Wallace and um, why. And about how, like, the Victorians themselves were all a little bit obsessed with collecting weird stuff and why that was um, and how they would, like, collect ornithological samples to the point of like driving some species to the brink of extinction because they were just like that odd (laughs) Um, or like so into like naturalism and you know um, their ideas about science and their ideas about the value of animals which were very different from our current ideas about it so it's this really cool combination of heist plus what plus fly fishing why and history it's really really fun so that's the feather thief by kirk wallace johnson so strange. It's so strange. It's so odd. Like, who? Why? But if you really like, if you like true crime, but are like, con- I know a lot of people out there are searching for true crime that isn't violent. I think yeah. that's a really good pick for you. Yeah. Mm, that's good. Okay. So next question comes from the cool bookish auntie. That's fantastic. Um, who says, I'm on a quest to find some appropriate audiobooks for a 14 hour road trip with my nieces, eight and 11, at the end of June. I want something exciting and engaging for both of them. The older one loves fantasy. She's making her way through Harry Potter at the moment, but the younger of the two can be sensitive with monsters, ghosts, etc. Ideally, I'd like to find something with diverse characters, a little magic, and a great narration. Bonus points if it's a first of a series so they can continue on if they love it. Uh, Do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. I Is mine a series? I picked The Gauntlet. Which is, has a sequel um, called The Battle. So it's not a full series, but there is a sequel. So The Gauntlet is by Karuna Riazzi, which I, who is a contributor now. Hey. <laughs> but I read this book before she became a contributor. She just came on board like a month ago yeah. right? to write for us. Um, but this book is so good. When I first got it uh, from the publisher, it came out in 2017. It was pitched as steampunk Middle Eastern Jumanji for kids. And that is exactly what it is. It's so great. Um, It's about a 12-year-old girl named Farah and her two friends who at her birthday party, her aunt gives her a puzzle game. She opens it and then it turns out to be, as you can imagine from the Jumanji comp, magic. The The game is called The Gauntlet of Blood and Sand. It looks like a big Rubik's Cube. And when they try to uh, play it, they get sucked in. Well, first her little brother Ahmed gets sucked into it, and then her and her best friends get sucked into it, and she has to figure out how to get everyone out, which includes finding out where her brother has gone in the game, um, and then, you know, getting everyone out. Um, so she and her friends have to solve all of these, you know, various puzzles and overcome all of these different obstacles um, to defeat the architect of the game, whose name is Lord Amari, um, in order to get out and, like, save everyone who is in it. I will say, since you mentioned that the younger one is a little weird about, like, monsters and ghosts and things like that, that there are um, some, I don't know if I would even call them monsters, but there are, like, cats made of sand, and there are scorpions, and, like, spiders, and things like that. Um, but some of them, like, there are lizards, uh, life-size 
like human sized lizards and, and but but they're like helpful. Like one of them is the lizard guide is named Henrietta and like she comes mm-hmm. to help them, you know, get through um the game. Some of them aren't some of them are like things that they have to run from or whatever, but I didn't it, I don't think that it's I'm a very sensitive person when it comes to spooky stuff in books. And I really think that an eight year old would be like be fine with everything that's um here. So it's just super fun adventure. If you're listening to it on audio, I also think that, that would be like really engrossing. Um because you're just constantly like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Like, how are they going to get out of this one? You know? And they're just brilliant. <laughs> These kids are super smart. So that's The Gauntlet by Karuna Riazzi. Okay. My pick has a lot of bit of magic. Um, <laughs> it's based on mythology. I couldn't help myself. It's Arisha and the End of Time by Roshni Shakshi. Um, and this is the first book in the Pandava Quartet. So it is a series. And it's definitely for middle grade readers. So I think it's the right age level. So it follows Aru, who is a 12-year-old girl. She lives in a museum. It sounds really cool. Her mom's a curator. She goes on like these archaeological expeditions. Her mom, not Aru, unfortunately, which is part of kind of Aru's hang up. Um... So to Aru, all of this is just one of the many reasons she's set apart from her peers. She feels like a complete outcast. Uh, She's definitely not the most popular kid in her school. And the kids in her school are generally really privileged. They have parents who are always present and who kind of dote on their children. Um, But she has expectations of her own for her mom that don't always follow through. And so in order for her to kind of fit in or make herself feel special in the eyes of her peers, she does things like tell tall tales. She stretches the truth in a big way sometimes, and this ends up getting her into some trouble when she's caught in a lie, and she kind of flails to get out of it, and she does this one irreversible thing that she knows she's not supposed to do and her actions end up setting off these epic consequences that take her on this journey to both the heavens and the underworld and while she's on this journey trying to find the Pandava brothers and trying to stop the god of destruction from being activated by this ancient demon, she kind of discovers herself and she discovers some secrets that maybe her mom has been keeping about herself and about her her role. <laughs> I'm trying not to spoil anything. It's very <laughs> hard. <laughs> so she takes this journey and the book is actually inspired, again, by Hindu mythology and the epic poem, the Mahabharata. And and I just thought it was really, it would be a really cute pick. First of all, I did listen to it on audiobook, and it was wonderful. So I think you'll really enjoy it in that format. And it also includes a cranky animal, which is like one of those things I just cannot resist in any fantasy novel. Like, I just love it so much. And I think kids would too. Uh, so Boo's this pigeon who really doubts that Aru and Aru's sidekick, Minnie, Boo doubts they can accomplish anything. They are both kind of a mess, so I don't blame him. Uh, but so Minnie and her new companion go on this journey, and I just think it's a really great pick for 
you know, both kids and adults who really enjoy mythology and stories about outcasts and normal kids traveling to magical worlds. And they're very much modern kids. So there's this clash between like the modern world and this mythological one that I found like really delightful and really funny. There are like mild scary elements like you know characters with sharp fangs who are a little bit creepy but I would say that this is more of a humorous book than anything else um and there's plenty of balance to any of the slightly creepier elements in this uh so and the second book in the series Arusha and the Song of Death came out in April so you can move right on if you enjoy this one and I think the third one is planned for spring 2020 so not too far away and again, that was Ari Shah and the End of Time by Roshni Shakshi. All right. Before we continue, we're going to talk about our second sponsor, which is How It Feels to Float by Helena Fox. This is a deeply hopeful YA novel about living with mental illness that is perfect for fans of Girl in Pieces. The main character's name is Biz, uh, and she, the buzz, the, the buzz, Lord, <laughs> the um, tagline is Biz Knows How to Float, which I really love like that that seems it's like poetical it's really nice anyway um so biz is a teenager who is struggling with mental illness she's also struggling with the death of her father but she still sees him occasionally like he comes to talk to her but she hasn't told anyone about that for obvious reasons um she also hasn't told anyone that she has really dark thoughts sometimes um that she has is like making up her mind how she feels about her friend grace and also how she feels about a new boy named jasper um and all of these things like she's holding within herself so the book is an an exploration of both love and grief but also intergenerational mental illness um and how it feels to and how living with it uh, when you've lost someone is both like a bridge to that person in your family who is gone, but also something that like really makes you feel separate from everyone else who is in your life. So the book explores like the really hard places that loss can take us um, and honors those who hold us tightly. So that, um, yeah, we should go check that out. It's already got a starred review from Kirkus and one from Booklist. The um, blurbs for it have been really, really great. So go check that out. That is How It Feels to Float by Helena Fox. All right. Question five is from Rihanna, who says, I'm going to Spain in June. I was looking for some books that I could go to the places in them. I'll be hitting up the major cities, Madrid, Barcelona, Valencia, Seville. I'm also going to try to fit in Morocco and Portugal, but Spain, preferably fiction that will just take place in these places. My favorite author is V.E. Schwab, and I love, love, love the Rook slash Stiletto. Okay, I'm going to keep talking. I picked An Englishman in Madrid by Eduardo Mendoza. It's translated by Nick Keister. So An Englishman in Madrid, I picked this for you because obviously it takes place in Madrid, but um, you mentioned that you love the Rook, and this is not a fantasy novel at all, like there are no supernatural elements, it's historical fiction, but it is like, it's a spy, an accidental um, spy uh, novel, which the Rook also is kind of an accidental spy novel, if like waking up in someone else's body where you have no control over what's happening could be considered an accident, I don't know. Um, so it's about a guy named Anthony who is an English art historian, and he is invited to go to Madrid to value an aristocrat's art collection. And this is right before the Spanish Civil War. So he goes to this duke's house. Uh, he meets a man named Jose, who is the founder of a nationalist party who's like pushing the country closer to civil war. The paintings that Anthony, you know, is told to look at turn out to like not be worth anything. But before he can leave and go home, the duke's daughter shows him like an actual treasure. And then he gets like, 
afraid that the Duke is going to sell this thing that he finds and like use it to finance this party that, um, you know, the Spanish authorities are constantly keeping their eye on. Um, and since he is like in the house and therefore a quote unquote associate of this Duke, uh, the Spanish authorities start like spying on this poor art historian who's like just there to make some money. At the same time, he starts falling for the Duke's daughter and has to compete with Jose, the, like, guy who's actually causing the political problems for her affections. Uh, and then you add all into all of that the Soviets. Like, the Soviet spies are there. And they also make the same assumptions that the Spanish authorities do, that because Anthony is associating with this duke and the people in the house, that he's somehow caught up in all of this political intrigue. And he's really just, like, a bumbling guy who just wants to go home, but cannot get out of this situation he finds himself in so it's it's a little bit mr bean goes to madrid i mean he's not quite that he's not quite that goofy but he is very out of his league and like out of his depth so that is an englishman in madrid by eduardo mendoza okay uh so this one ended up being a little bit more difficult than i thought it would be originally i was going to suggest the shadow of the wind by carlos rizafon there were some weird things about the depictions of women in there that i was like meh i can't remember it well enough to really recommend it but if you want to look into that the shadow of the wind might be an option but the one i chose was by the river piedra i sat down and wept and this is by paolo coelho um i read this a while back but it's the river piedra is in the french pyrenees which is the natural border between Spain and France. But the story focuses on Pilar, who lives in a small town in Spain called Soria. And she spent her life so far doing exactly what was expected of her. And all of that changes when she has this opportunity to meet up with her childhood friend. So Pilar and her friend loved each other when they were young, but they took two very different paths. He left their small town to explore other places and thoughts and ended up joining the seminary. And his faith is a major part of his life. But when they reunite on this journey to the river, they recall the past and their feelings for each other. And it becomes kind of this moment to reevaluate where they'll, where they'll go from here. And I am not a spiritual person by any means. So <laughs> when this book was gifted to me, I was like, hmm, I just wasn't sure it'd be my thing. Um, so I'm saying just in case... You're like, I don't know about this. I ended up reading it in one sitting, and I really loved the writing. This was actually my first Quello read, so his style of prose was really new to me, but it's really poetic, it's really lyrical, and his books have sort of a philosophical tendency. It's not magical necessarily, but there are ways in which he writes that feel magical, if that makes sense. Um, and there's always something to reflect on after reading his stuff. So that's exactly what this mo the mood this book about this young woman coming to terms with her life gave me. And she's kind of trying to move beyond her community's narrow world worldview and dealing with the challenges of love. Um, so it's a spare but really powerful read. It's really travel friendly. Again, another book like that, which is great if you prefer traveling with physical books. And uh, I thought that this might be a good pick because the pair are actually going on travels in this story. So they meet each other in Madrid and then they visit some spiritual and historical sites, which of course lends itself to this spiritual and intellectual journey Pilar is on. Um, and I read this when I was in my early 20s, which felt like the right time to read it because it's so much about, you know, finding yourself and defining yourself for yourself 
rather than to suit your parents and community. And I actually almost did the Camino de Santiago pilgrimage through Spain <laughs> because of it. <laughs> but it turns out I'm way too lazy for like a buildings <laughs> Roman walkabout. Like, <laughs> but thankfully there are books for that. So again, that was by the River Piedra. I sat down and wept by Paulo Coelho. Too lazy for a pilgrimage is a mood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was a fantastic idea for a moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the next question comes from Beth. Beth says, my grandmother's in her 90s and still enjoys a great mystery. She dislikes books with explicit language or graphic sex and violence, but is also not particularly into cozy mysteries or faith-based fiction. She especially enjoys the curmudgeonly detective in the country genre. I love that. Uh, she's a fan of the Bruno series by Martin Walker and is particularly fond of Agatha Christie's Poirot books. Please help me find some great new authors for her. Okay, I'm totally with your grandma on the curmudgeonly detective brand. My recommendation is an Inspector Singh Investigates, and this book is a most peculiar, a most peculiar Malaysian murder, and it's by Shamini Flint. And this is the first book in a series, while it doesn't necessarily take Inspector Singh to the country, it does take him from Singapore to Malaysia. So Inspector Singh is this really old school detective in the modern era, which means the force can't wait to see him retire. But he doesn't plan to anytime soon. He's not into paperwork and bureaucracy as so many of them are. He's really into investigating a case by going, seeing, doing, and meeting. Uh, so when he's booted to Malaysia to investigate this high-profile case involving a Singaporean supermodel who is accused of murdering her uber-wealthy Malaysian husband, he's in the mix. And he might be the only person involved in this case who isn't automatically assuming she's guilty, even though it seems like the evidence is stacked against her. She had this failed divorce proceeding that really went awry. Um, and she said some things that maybe made her look bad down the line. But I really loved how this book is kind of that mix of modernity and this quaint style of detective work you would read about in an Agatha Christie novel. Like Inspector Singh has traces of Poirot. He's not fastidious about his appearance at all, but he's fastidious about his work ethic and his principles. Uh, but the book also goes into, for instance, people's assumptions about Inspector Singh because he wears a turban and the unique relations between Malaysia and Singapore and also how like, you know, the justice system fails women and lower class people. So I also enjoy the book because it's also one of few set around Singapore that represents how diverse both Singapore and Malaysia are and where the many, many brown people that make up its population are main characters in the story. And Inspector Singh himself is just delightful. He's exactly the sort of detective you want to keep reading about, and I find it really fun in, like, a Columbo sort of way. Yes. When, yeah, which I'm obsessed with. Uh, but, you know, when these unassuming detectives defy assumptions made about their detective abilities and their skills uh, to suss things out. So, again, that was Inspector Singh Investigates. And the first book in the series is The Most Peculiar Malaysian Murder by Shamini Flint. Okay, I picked The Unexpected Inheritance of Inspector Chopra by Vasim Khan, which is the first book in the Baby Ganesh Agency investigation <laughs> series. It's so good. Um, so this also has some horror-ish elements where 
the main character is Inspector Ashwin Chopra, and he, like Perot, has like retired from you know his professional uh, work. And except when the first book opens here, it's his first day out of a job. He is a police officer, um, and he, for health reasons, is taking early retirement. And so, like the book opens, and for the first time in you know since he can remember. He doesn't have to go to work and he's retired. He's going to stay home with his wife, Poppy, and his wife's mother, who is the worst. Um, but then he gets an elephant. And see, so what what happens is a baby elephant shows up on his doorstep as like a gift from an uncle. And the note, you know, the information that comes is like, this is not an ordinary elephant. He's super smart. Take good care of him, etc. Um, so that's happening. And at the same time, th- at the same time, he can't stop thinking about a case that landed on his desk the day before, his very last day. It was about a boy who had drowned. Um, this, his his boss and, like, the police, you know, force wants to rule it an accidental drowning because the boy was drunk when he was when his body was found. They found alcohol in the system. But the mother insists that, like, that's not possible. She wants justice for her kid. Like, something obviously really bad happened. But Chopra's bosses are like, no, like, uh, whatever. He drowned. It's fine. Like, accidental. Let's move on. But, like, his, his, his policeman instincts and all of his experience that he's gained over the years is telling him that, like, that's not all there is to it. So he can't stop thinking about it. And of course, <laughs> with his like really annoying mother-in-law at home and this new elephant, he decides he's going to go um, and maybe privately kind of look into it a little bit and like, no harm, no foul. I'm just going to see what's going on. But then the elephant turns out to be really useful in a lot of odd ways and um, seems to completely understand spoken language and what's happening around it at all times. And so the elephant becomes like his partner and he goes off to solve this mystery of what happened to uh, the boy uh, from this case that landed on his desk on his last day of work. So it's just, he's so good. He's like, uh, these tropes about, he's very Columbo. Like these tropes about unsuspecting um, <laughs> older men who are like very friendly and are just kind of here to ask you a few questions, but in reality are analyzing everything you've ever said and done and can like see right <laughs> into your soul. It's just, they're addictive. I love him so much. So that's the, and there's an elephant. So that's the unexpected inheritance of Inspector Chopra. The Unexpected Inheritance of the Elephant by Vasine Khan. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Super fast. We're going to do our last question. It's from Andrew, who says, Growing up, I used to love fiction, especially fantasy and sci-fi. But as an adult, I found myself struggling to get into most fiction and find myself as an avid history fan gravitating towards nonfiction. However, I desperately want to broaden my horizons and recapture some of the magic I found in fantasy novels as a child. I'm looking for a fantasy novel where the focus is on the political intrigue and maneuvering, like Game of Thrones, and less on the more fantastical elements like other fantasy races, etc. Of course, some of that is okay. Okay, I'm going to keep going. I picked, this is wrong, I put the sequel down in the agenda. That's not real. The name of the book (laughs) is Jade City, not Jade War. Jade City by Fonda Lee is the first book in the series. Jade War is the second book that just came out, so you can go read it. And this is a fantasy novel that is entirely about political intrigue and only has humans in it. The humans are super powered, though, a little bit. Um, So this takes place on an island of Kikon. It's an Asian-inspired fantasy, like, mega city and on this island jade is traded um like mined for and traded um and it's the only play they have a monopoly on it and people in this world particular people have the ability to use jade like if you wear it it gives you super strength you can like sew it into your skin some people wear it in big um, pieces of jewelry and the ones who have the ability to um use jade to have super powered abilities have developed into these big 
they're essentially crime families when the book opens. But historically, they are families that were designed to like protect the nation from colonialism and, and foreign invaders and people who would come and take the jade and use it for like nefarious means. But it has turned into these like competing like mafia families almost. Um, but uh, onto this scene comes a new drug that lets anybody wear jade and use it to um, become like superpowered, to have super strength and be really fast and become really good at fighting. When historically anyone who wears it who doesn't have these particular inherited genetic abilities, it just, it makes you sick. It makes you really, really sick. You get very addicted um, and, you know, useless. It's, it's, a lot like a drug addiction in the book. Um, and so you are just, you get pulled into this world. You're following one particular family and all the members of the family um, who are young. Like, I think it's three or three, uh, three kids who are adults and have, are having to, like, take over as the older members of the family are aging out. Um, and they are, uh, you know, protecting their particular corner of the jade market, defending all the districts that they're in charge of defending that people pay them to defend. And then another family comes out of the mountains to like wage war on them, essentially. At the same time, there's like this maneuvering happening over who's going to control the jade, um, who's going to be in charge of which family. There's a lot of backstabbing and blackmail. And it is very games of thrones. Like they're essentially houses, right? Like these families are basically Game of Thrones houses with their own particular set of skills um, that are going to war with each other over the economic resources of this universe. Uh, so I loved it. It's amazing. And that's my story. So that's Jade City by Fonda Lee. Okay, for this one, I chose The Cruel Prince by Holly Black. And I think that this is a good series if you are dipping your toes back into the waters. Um, so the story follows Jude, who was seven. She was seven years old. Her parents were murdered. And she and her two sisters were kidnapped. They're living in the high court of fairy now, and they're encountering fairies. So there are magical creatures in this. It's fairies, though. There are not, like, a ton of different types of magical creatures and magical beings you have to keep track of. Because the, the story really does center around this high court. And it has all of the political intrigue uh, you would expect from something like Game of Thrones. And the reason I really loved this book and I love books like it is because I really like the slightly villainous hero in as the protagonist. And Jude is definitely that. So um, she is determined, like most people maybe would be like, Oh, wow, I was kidnapped from my home. I can't stand all of these people. I just want to get out of here. Jude is determined to fit in. And the way she sees herself fitting in is to find a place in the high court um, and to be somebody noteworthy there. So in order to do that, she has to do some really villainous, dark things. Um... But this entire world is kind of like that. The High Court of Fairy is very much about backstabbing and about really cruel people. Um, of course, this is called the Cruel Prince. <laughs> and you do have <laughs> Prince Cardan, who is an absolute, you know, he's not great. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> Euphemism.com. <Yeah. laughs> so Jude ends up like, almost having to risk her life in order to make these allegiances and make alliances with people and find a place. And she also has to deal with Prince Cardan and 
his posse, all of the students at the school are against her and her sister because they're mortals and they have a unique position um, as the having a guardian who is a fairy who also has a place in the high court. So they're in this really strange position, but they're not really benefiting from it. And it's just like just a bunch of nightmarish scenarios where she's trying to find her place and she's trying to gain position and everybody is against her. And then there's in the background, the other things going on with the high court of fairy amongst this family who rules everybody who are the royalty. So not only does she have to go in and do some really dark business there are other things going on that she doesn't even know about that she's sort of being introduced to so it's this family full of secrets there's intrigue uh there are some really diabolical acts and assassins and there's also brushes with the modern world of mortals which i thought was great um so yeah it's a fantastic book the second book in the folk of the air series is the wicked king that's out now and the third and final book is expected to be published november of this year so that was again the cruel prince by holly black and that's our show Hooray! <laughs> more jaws hands even two bingo squares on the show today <laughs> thank you so much for listening please go leave us a rating and review on apple Podcasts. thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show you can find us on social media i'm on instagram at i'm amanda nelson where can the people find you sharifa they can also find me on instagram i'm at s zainab williams that's s-c-a-i-n-a-b williams and we will talk to y'all next week <laughs> <laughs>